Welcome to True Talks, an honest and open look into the challenges we all face every day dealing with God, family, and others. Now, here's Pastor Tim Buttry, founder and CEO of True Relationships. We, we need a relationship revival in America, in the world. Our marriages are falling apart. Our children are turning their backs on God because they see a dichotomy between what they see at home and what they think they're supposed to be outside of the home. And they have turned their back on God. They, they get through uh, their, their high school years and say, I don't want that. I want to find out what's important to me. And so now here, God has called us over the last 11, 12 years now to preach a message of restoration. The Bible says that that we are, that we as followers of Christ have the ministry of reconciliation. And that is the work of God that he has called us to, and that is to reconcile, to reconcile a husband and a wife who because of differences, because of pains in the past, because of family of origin issues where they were never modeled how to live, how to love, how to serve, how to be sacrificial, how to be other-centered is what we call it. They never learned that. And so there's there's a deficit. And God calls us to come alongside of these couples and reconcile them unto each other and ultimately unto Christ. Because you cannot be divided. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot be in a position where you think everything is okay spiritually and have your marriage in a wreck. The two aren't synonymous. They don't go together. You can't say, well, I've got this, but I don't have that. It doesn't work that way. And it scares me, folks. It does. And I I know I've come in like a freight train. But I'm scared for us. I'm scared for us as a people. I'm scared for us as a church. I'm scared for us as a nation. I don't know where this is going to end. I don't know how it can end good. Uh, The direction that we are headed now as a country, not because of political standings, but because of spiritual, moral standings. Because we don't have a biblical worldview any longer. We do what feels good to us, just like it's said in the Old Testament, where they did what what felt good or what seemed good in their own eyes. That's what we're doing. We're doing what seems good to us. And we have lost our, 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 our moral standards. We've lost our faith. Well, do we believe in God? Yes. But do we believe in what God can do? I don't think so. And, and, and I believe that we need to get back to basics. And is there anything more basic than just having a garden a place where a husband and a wife and children can be safe and can grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, a place where children see what it means to serve the living God, a place where God shows up at mealtimes, at bedtime. (laughs) That is all that matters. And yet we've missed it. Now, I'm not saying everybody's missed it. And I'm not saying you have missed it. What I am saying, though, generally speaking, as a people, as a nation, as a church, capital C, we have lost it. We have missed what values Scripture places on marriage, on the home, on the family. 
And many of you are paying the price because of choices that were made by those that have gone before you. And your hearts are broken. Your faith is, has been affected because you wonder, how could God let that happen? How could God let my family, my mom and my dad get divorced and some other man come into my home and did that man molest me? How could God let that happen? God didn't let it happen. Our sinfulness let it happen. Our rebellion, our self-centeredness, that's what let it happen. I'm not excusing and I'm not minimizing that horrible event. You have no idea how many times I have sat in my office with a couple and one or both of them have told me that they were molested as children by an uncle, by a stepfather, by a, a woman that lived down the street that was not married, and had sex with a 15-year-old boy and never got caught, never found it. And this, this boy carried it with him the rest of his life and could not have a normal relationship with his wife because he was so deeply wounded. These are not anomalies, my friends. These are not things that are unusual. These are things I hear every week. What are we going to do about that? What are you going to do about it? Because if that's your story... Are you just going to suffer in silence? Are you just going to let it float on by, just get through, pull up your bootstraps? I don't want anybody to know I'm too embarrassed. Pride sets in. We never get help, and we just keep this crazy cycle going. Wow, I had no idea I was going to come up here and say all that. But you know, it's funny when you're a preacher, when you're a deliverer of God's message, you don't know what you're going to say sometimes, because it's his message that's in your heart. And this is my burden. This is my passion. This is what God has given me to carry. And what sometimes I wonder how to carry it. And I do my best as a counselor to not take it home with me and not carry it through the week. God has blessed me by bringing interns and, and mentors and uh, or mentees, people I can pour some of this into and onto. And, and instead of releasing some of it for me, God just increases it in me and gives me extra to give to them because the need is so grandiose. So what are we going to do? Are we going to ignore it? What's going to happen the next time a, a marriage event comes up? What, what's going to happen when your pastor who loves you says, you need to go get counseling? Are you going to ignore it and just come to church and expect him to just think everything's okay and he's done his best and nothing else can be done? We've got to stop this madness because it's killing us. It's killing. That's what happens when you pound a pulpit. Good thing the lid was on, eh? What are you going to do? How are we going to handle this? Are we just going to keep on doing what we're doing? Keep on getting the same results? I don't know, but a few of you well. And I do know a few of you well. And as Pastor alluded, there are several of you that are in here this morning that have come to us. And you've, you've made that investment. Not that there's anything to do with us. I, I don't even like those phrases. I don't like those statements. It's not like that we're the only ones, or that, but we're, we're just down the road for you. Okay, you don't have to go across the country. But God has put a ministry literally in your backyard 
in the big picture of things, okay, it's not in Lima, it's not in Finley, but it's not that far away. And what are you going to do? You're just going to keep on trying to make it on your own and you know you're not going to do it? So please, I beg you, I implore you, don't suffer. Don't keep fighting. Don't keep yelling at each other. Don't keep hiding away. Don't keep going and running away from your problems. Don't keep saying horrible, ugly things to each other while your children are in earshot of what you say. God, help us. These things are killing us. They're killing the church. They're killing our spirituality. It's destroying our spiritual well-being. It's disabling us. We're handicapped. We don't even know it. We're just like what Jesus said in Revelation about the church. We're blind. We're hungry. We're naked. And we live in a rich place and we don't even see how desperate we are. And it concerns me. So I begin this message this morning with a plea. I begin this message this morning with a statement that I hope will make you aware. This weekend we taught our couples that there are four pillars to what we call true intimacy. Those four pillars are awareness, safety, honesty, and forgiveness. This morning, perhaps the most important thing I can do is make you aware. Open your eyes. Sensitize you a little bit more. Make you bold enough to go away from this place this morning and maybe say something to your spouse that you've been afraid to say. You didn't know how they'd react. You didn't know if you were ready to really pay the price for what it was that you were going to have to do to make it work. You, you weren't sure that it was going to turn out the way you'd like it to. But somehow, maybe in something I say, in the way I say it, will we'll stir your heart and give you a little bit of that passion, a little bit of that energy, a little bit of that conviction to where you can go and you can say, we need help. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And that whoever says it and the one that hears it will not fight that, will not be prideful enough to say, oh, we're okay, what's the big deal? Everything's a... Instead to say, you're right. What are we going to do? It's nothing to be ashamed of, friends. What's, what's, what's to be ashamed of is ignoring it. That's what Jesus looks at. That's what he looked at in those churches in the book of Revelation. That's the stuff we need to be ashamed of, not dealing with it, ignoring it, acting like everything's okay. That's the stigma that we need to be affected by, not this stigma that's in the church that getting counseling is some horrible, ungodly thing that we've got. We're failures if we go to counseling. No, we are human. And we don't have the tools. It's not even all your fault. It was the generation that preceded you and the generation that preceded that. It's everybody's fault. And we've got to begin dealing with these things. And if we don't, I, I don't know where it's going to go. I'm serious. It scares me. And I'm not just talking to stir you up. 
I've never wanted to be that kind of a preacher. I've never wanted to be that kind of, I've never wanted to be an evangelist. I don't want to just get everybody all stirred up. I don't want you to just come down to an altar and I pray for you and, oh, God is here. And then you go away and you do the same stuff again. What's the point? There is no point in that. It's false. What I want is for there to be such an anointing, such a power that just the fact that you are hearing something that you've not paid attention to before will stir your heart and you'll begin to seek out what God wants for you in your home. You'll get honest with yourself about how your children are struggling and ask the hard questions, why are they? Why are they struggling? Why do they not like us anymore? Why are they ignoring us? Why are they dabbling in drugs? Why are they out with these friends? What's going on with us in our home? Ask the hard questions. And I want you to know this as well. I don't come to you as somebody that has it all figured out. It's not like I learned all this in college or something and then I'm just coming and spewing out of you what I learned from a book or some books or whatever the case might be. In fact, another thought that I had this morning as I sat there on the front row was that it was 12 years ago this week that Linda and I returned to our church after a three-month sabbatical because our marriage had fallen apart. It looked like it was over. Linda had fallen in love with another man just by talking on emails about my physical illness that I was enduring at that particular time. And he was concerned for me, and she began to answer questions that she knew normally she would have left for me. She wouldn't have talked to him about those kinds of things. But because I wasn't available, she did. Slowly but surely, their conversations turned to be emotionally charged. Those emotionally charged conversations turned to saying things like, I love you. And things like, maybe we should have married each other instead of who we married. And ultimately, Linda believed that she was supposed to be with that person and left me. She only left for two days, but she left. And she came back and she had nothing, no hope. No. She didn't love me anymore. And she told me so. <laughs> there were times she'd look at me and she'd say, You don't get it, do you, Tim? I don't love you anymore. I have no hope for our marriage. Just let me go. If you love me, you'll let me go, she said. <laughs> I said, Are you kidding me? Because I love you, I am going to hold on for my dear life. And I am never going to let go of you. And I fought for her. And God restored our marriage in that three-month period. God restored our marriage miraculously. You think there's no hope? There's hope, my friends. There's always hope. And it was 12 years ago, this weekend, we returned to our church board I'm sorry, I, I didn't know I was going to get this way this morning. And it was on a Saturday night. 
I remember walking into the room where all of my board, people that were my friends, and I, the minute I walked in, I knew something was wrong. I, I just knew something was wrong. And they started asking us these penetrating questions that had nothing to do with the fact that God had restored our marriage. We were ready to go back and be the best pastors we felt we could ever be because we'd learned things about love and life and forgiveness that we did not know before. But they couldn't do it. They just said, we think it's best that you move on. We think it's best that you and Linda just need some time. I said, oh, that's great. And how do you want me to do the time? Neither of us are going to have a job. Neither of us will have an income. How does that work? So we were literally, and I don't, uh, we were left alone. And the only one that was there for us was God. And I knew that God was going to honor the choice that we made to value and honor our marriage. I knew he was. Whether we had no money or not, I knew he was going to take care of us. And guess what? (laughs) What do you think happened? He took care of us. I don't know how he did it sometimes. There was one day we were just starting this ministry. Actually, we had not officially started full-time. This ministry was birthed out of that loss. We had nowhere to go. We didn't know what God wanted us to do. We, I started looking for other pastoring jobs, places where I could go to a church. A, a church heard that I was out of our church, and, and a, the board member called me, and I went to meet with them. And I, literally, these guys, I, everything they asked me, I answered exactly the way they would have wanted me to. And they said, this is the first person we've had come to interview with us where every one of us on the board agreed that this was the guy. They said, we want you to come back the next Sunday and preach. That was on a Tuesday. On Friday, the chairman of the board called me and said, we're sorry, We have to rescind our offer. The, uh, the gossip line has started in our church. And somebody began to say things about you and why you left your church. And we just can't deal with that hassle. And so we're just going to have to say we can't do it. Okay? Lord, you know my heart. I'm not sharing this for any sob story because it's not one. (laughs) It's really not. It was out of that that God birthed a ministry that now is beginning to touch lives and change hearts and save marriages and put people on a trajectory in their homes that they only dreamed of. And it couldn't have or maybe wouldn't have happened had those things not taken place. So it's okay. It's okay. The bottom line is, here we are. Twelve years later, two people at the back of the sanctuary now are part of our ministry. We're with us this weekend. Eric and Janet Cole, they'll be at the table out in the lobby. And their marriage was on its last leg. They had lived rebellious lives 
Eric grew up in a Christian home, but he had turned his back on God and was getting drunk every day and partying and doing whatever he wanted to do. And then his wife found somebody that treated her better and loved her more appropriately. She fell in love with him. And God had to take that person out of the quotient so that that marriage could be restored. And that marriage was restored, and now Eric has a call to ministry and is finishing up his degree in January for biblical counseling and is, going to, and is a part of our ministry on a full-time basis and will continue to do so. See, the, God works in mysterious ways, and His ways aren't our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. And so, 12 years ago, this ministry is birthed, and we really, maybe, maybe what, was, what happened 12 years ago was that the, the seed of faith was implanted in us. And it was about a nine months to a year later before we actually began to go out and teach these messages and share in conferences and retreats, and as a result of that, God has changed so many things. So now that I've come to the place where I've shared with you what was bubbling in my heart, I have to decide where is it that God wants to go right now? What is it that He wants to do in your life? Are you done doing it your way? How's that working, by the way? Are you ready to surrender? And when we surrender, it's, it's, it's by faith. And it's certainly something that we do first and foremost in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ because of what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. He paid that price and literally reconciled us with God literally restored our relationship with God. But now it's our opportunity to be like Jesus and to also be restorers, to also participate in the ministry of reconciliation. And that happens most importantly, I believe, for every follower of Christ who is a married Christian Their primary ministry of reconciliation happens between them and their spouse and the, the parents and their children. Because in the last days, Malachi said there would be a revival. And in that revival, God would restore the children to the hearts of their fathers or their parents. Has that revival started yet? I, I, I don't see it yet. But what's it going to take to start? How does that happen? How do revivals start? Revivals start when a small group of people start getting real about what it is that God's saying to a generation, and they say, enough is enough. Are we there yet? What's it going to take? (laughs) Really? How long is it going to take? What are they going to do? You know, when I was in Bible college, they told me that my generation 
would be the last generation to experience the power of God if my generation didn't do something about what's happening to our culture. And I, with all my heart, wanted to be one who would make a difference. And I, I don't know if I have. I don't know. I don't see a whole lot of proof of it. I see little, little campfires every once in a while. I see little glimmers of hope. I see little pockets of situations where something's happening, but I don't call it a revival. And I want one. I want one. I want to see the church to be a refuge for the world. I want to see the church being a place where marriage is is valued and honored and respected and a place where broken marriages are restored, a place where people that want to get married know what it's going to take to be married and aren't going to go in blindfolded thinking that it's just, oh, love is grand. Yeah, well, divorce is 50 grand. Pastor, what time is it? Let's close with this passage of Scripture. Turn with me to Ephesians 5. I believe Ephesians 5.21 is the most revealing passage of Scripture in the entire Bible about marriage. I have this message on CD and DVD. So I'm not going to preach this message this morning. I did, a, I, I did something different than that today by just sharing my heart with you and my passion for this church, for you as fellow followers of Christ, for you that are married in this place and need to have a marriage that honors God, I want to give you some quick little pieces that will stir your heart and cause you to want more. And I, I, I'll do, if, you, if you can't afford the little bit that it costs to get that video or DVD or CD from us, then we'll give it to you. I don't care about that. But I want you to get this message. And here's where it starts. Verse 21, Ephesians 5. Submit to who? Submit to who? Say it out louder. One another. This is not a one-way street. Gentlemen, you are not allowed to ever say again, the Bible tells you, wife, you are to submit to me. It is not a biblical statement. It is not a one-way street. It is not a woman submitting to a man. It is both of us submitting to each other. And God is is doing something unique through that obvious submission, but it is not a one-way street. So please never say that again. And wives, I'm giving you permission to remind them, if they ever use that one on you, that it is not a one-way street. And that Pastor Tim Buttry said so. Actually, God's Word said so. Okay? It's not a one-way street. Submit to one another. Verse 22, wives, here's how you submit. That's really what it's saying. Here's how you submit You submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. Gentlemen, you need to be in the Word. 
you got to have God's Word hidden in your heart. Otherwise, what's going to come out of your heart is all the junk that this world has been putting in there every time you turn around, whether that be a billboard or a magazine or a television or a video or a movie or whatever. All that stuff is crowding it out. you got to get God's Word in your heart because that's how you bless your wife. That's how you minister to her. That's how she is able to submit to you as to the Lord because you, like the Lord, have the Word of God in your heart. (laughs) And you don't use the Word of God as a tool against them. You use it as a cleansing agent. You use it to make her spotless and wrinkle-free. You use it to bless her. You use it to strengthen her. You use it to encourage her. But that's not what I hear. Just a little birdie told me. Verse 28, uh, 27. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. A mystery. He says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, we all like what it says about the other person, don't we? (laughs) You're supposed to love me. You're supposed to respect me. Let's just start doing our part. Husbands, love your wives. Unconditionally love them. Wives, respect your husbands. A man's number one need is honor. When you talk to him in ways that are dishonoring, when you question his motives when you don't recognize his sacrificial desire to help and you criticize or you tell him he always does this when it's not always those are the things that cause great deal of pain husbands your wife just wants you to love her that's all she's ever wanted She just wants you to cherish her and do what you said you'd do when you stood at that altar where you said you'd cherish her from that that day forward. So I'm going to ask right now as we close, I want every couple to stand, every married couple. If you're not married, I'm going to ask you not to stand right now. This is not meant to be biased, but I want to do something special for married couples. Married couples... In an act of unity, I want you, if you're, if you're with your spouse, I want you to hold each other's hands. Okay, will you do that? Just as, an, uh, as a, a show of unity, I want you to hold each other's hands. If you're not here with your spouse, then just in your heart, kind of reach out toward them. I want to pray a prayer of blessing on you. The, the Lord talks about blessing. The scriptures teach about blessing, that there's something about being blessed That God wants to bless our union. He wants to bless our marriage. He wants to bless our children. And so I'm just a humble servant. I'm a nobody. I, I have nothing to give except what's in my heart that God put there.
So all I want to do is give you a blessing from the Lord that through that blessing, you will change the way you think. As a result of that blessing, you'll have a conviction about things that before you ignored or didn't feel. Now you're thinking, oh boy, he set us up. He's got us standing, holding hands. Now he's going to get something going inside of us that I didn't bargain for. Well, it's okay because it's all good. All right? Because it's a blessing. It's not a curse. (laughs) That would be awkward if I told you to stand up. I was going to curse you, wouldn't it? I wouldn't blame you for not standing. But, But I'm asking you to stand so that there can be a blessing upon you. If you're in this room as a couple and you're living together and you're not married... I implore you to talk to your pastor and let's get this thing figured out because the blessing of God cannot be on you until you submit to His authority and His Word that says that the two shall become one flesh. And there is a union that happens through the marital bond that is a mystery. So if that's the case, if you're engaged and you wish you could stand... I can understand that, but you need to make sure you're doing the job of getting prepared because this task of marriage is no game. It's a demanding relationship that is unbelievably blessed, but it'll cost you everything. That's why the Bible tells us men, husbands, lay down your lives for your wives. It's not easy. It's great. But it's not easy. So let me bless you. Lord, I, I bless your people. I bless these couples. I bless their homes. I bless their children. I bless their union. And I pray, God, that as a result of this blessing, that there would be a newfound conviction about the value and the honor that you have placed on marriage. I pray, Lord, that as a result of this blessing, that there would be a new found conviction about the attitudes of the hearts that are affecting the spouse. I pray that along with this blessing, that there would be a new found desire for gentleness and, and caring and empathy and listening and awareness that will cause them to connect with their spouse in a way that they have not for perhaps decades. I pray, Lord, that there would be, along with this blessing, a freedom to be real, a freedom to be open, a freedom to be transparent, and to know that when they are open and honest and real with their spouse, that it won't be unsafe to do so. But that as they open their heart, they'll be received, they'll be embraced, and they'll be thanked because they were honest, and they can move forward into a great and new and mighty thing that you have planned just for them. I pray your blessing upon every marriage, on every home, on every child in this room. And I pray a special blessing on the pastor and his wife. I pray pray for Randy and Marissa this morning, Lord, that you would anoint them and that their marriage would be infused with supernatural grace and love and patience and understanding and that they would be able to strengthen each other as they carry the burden of this church and its future. I pray, Lord, that Randy would understand that his His love is his wife, and that he is to minister to her, not to the church. And that you, the church is your spouse. You can take care of her. And I pray, Lord, that as he leads, that you'll bless his marriage. So, Lord, we ask you to take this that we've broken today and disperse it to those that are in need. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said... 
Amen. This has been True Talks with Pastor Tim Buttrey. If you'd like more information about True Relationships, just visit us on the web at truerelationships.org or on Twitter at Tim Buttrey or on Facebook at True Plus True.